0: Father's Day. So I'm going to preach about some Bible fathers today. How many of you men ever tried to imitate your dad in something, you know, especially as a child? I mean, who among us has not seen a little boy try to imitate his dad? Maybe he put on his dad's boots. When he's just a little toddler and the boots come up to his waist, all right? You've seen pictures like that. You think of things like that. How many of you wanted to have some tools to work with so that you could do something just like Dad was doing? How many of you ever had a little plastic push lawnmower so that you could go mow the grass too, supposedly, or a Fisher-Price one or something? There are things I think inherent in men that we try to imitate somehow what our dads do and I'm confident that I probably do some of those things without even realizing that I do them I know one thing that I learned from dad is (laughs) every time 2,500 to 3,000 miles rolls around on my vehicle I'm going to change the oil because that's what dad did I mean he just did and if my dad were living today in a time of fully synthetic oil where you can go five or 6,000 or 7,500 miles, I don't think dad would trust it. I think he'd still be changing oil at 2,500 to 3,000 miles, okay? I they're just things that we learn from our dads. Well, I hope we can learn from some dads from the scriptures today. We're going to take a look at five Bible fathers today, just to glean a little bit of of information from them, some some character traits that I think will be helpful for fathers, but I hope that we can all learn from them as well. So the first one we're going to look at today is Father Moses. (laughs) We usually say Father Abraham, we're going to get to him, but we're going to start with Moses this morning and learn some things from him. One thing in particular, and that is the importance of teaching our children the commands of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then a little further down in that chapter in verse 20. Moses says, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household, and He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which He had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today." And it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as He commanded us. The importance of training our children, not just sons, but sons and daughters, the commandments of God and how important it is to live by them. So dads and granddads and great granddads, you teach Your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, whatever the case might be, teach them what God commands. Teach them the Word of God. Teach them who God is. Teach them who Jesus is. Teach them that Jesus is more than just a picture on a wall. And fathers, you dare not delegate that responsibility to anybody else. You're the leader of your family. You're the head of your family. You don't delegate that task. That is not only your responsibility. You should consider it a privilege and look forward to training your children in the ways of the Lord. It's not the job of the Sunday school teacher. It's not the job of the youth group leader. It's not even the preacher's job to teach your children the ways of God. Now we can augment that, and certainly they should be able to learn it from the different people, but it's your responsibility first and foremost. So you'd better be in the Word of God yourself. you better be communicating it to your children, because if the only time they get it is inside of a church building, don't expect them to be strong Christians. And if you're not a man of God yourself, don't expect children of God to be raised up. If you need help with that, there are all kinds of resources that can aid you in, in how to, to teach your children the Word of God. So you seek help, seek out the help that you need, but you make sure you teach your children the commands of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the apostle Paul writes and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Of the Lord. Psalm 22:6. train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And listen, parents, if children are like arrows, we better be very careful where we point them. Point them to the Lord. Point them to God. So for Moses, we need to teach our children the commands of God. But Father Abraham had many sons, but it didn't look like it was going to be that way at the beginning, did it? Wow, and every time I read the 22nd chapter of Genesis, it just, I'm filled with awe. And I have to honestly question myself could I have done what Abraham did? But you, you remember the story of Abraham, how he and Sarah are, are old, and Sarah is past the age to bear children, but yet God promises Abraham. He says, go out and look up at the stars in the sky. That's the way your descendants are going to be, as numerous as the stars in the sky, the dust of the earth, the sands of the sea. They're going to be numerous, but they had no children. They tried to take matters into their own hand, right? With Hagar, the the handmaid to Sarah, and Abraham has a child with her, the name Ishmael. But God says, no, that's not the child of the promise. You and Sarah, you're going to have a child, and it's through him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And when Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90, here comes little Ha-Ha, little Isaac, whose name means laughter. And he certainly would have brought laughter to them at that age. And he's the child that the promise would be carried on through. And then God says, take him and offer him up as an offering to me on an altar, on the mountains of Moriah. And it amazes me that Abraham doesn't question God. At least, not that the scriptures tell us. Nowhere in scripture do we say Abraham asked the question, But God, if I kill him, how will your promise come true? How will my descendants be that numerous if Isaac is dead? But you don't read any of that in the scripture. All you read is that Abraham made the preparations to go to the mountains of Moriah offer up Isaac. And they take off. He takes a couple servants with him. And when the mountains of Moriah are in sight, he leaves the servants at a certain place and says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. What a statement of faith that even if he killed his child, that God could restore him to life. And he takes him up the mountain. Isaac says, Father, we've got the wood and we've got the fire, but Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And he goes up, he builds the altar, he arranges the wood, and then he binds his son and lays him upon that altar. And again, the scripture gives us no indication that Isaac tried to run away, but only that he submitted to his father. And Abraham raises his arm with his knife and is ready to plunge it into his son when God intervenes. It says, Abraham, Abraham, lay not your hand upon your son, for now I know that you fear me because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. What was God saying? Abraham, now I know you love me even more than you love your son. And I ask myself that question, could I have done what Abraham did? And I'm afraid to answer that question. Fathers, as much as you love your children, from Abraham we learn you have to love God more. You have to love God more than your children. Your relationship with God is of primary importance. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you can love your family and your children best when you love God the most. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And I fear at times that maybe all of us are guilty of loving family more than loving God. That's a tough lesson, but it's one that we all need to learn. What about Job, another Bible father? Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. That man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Here's a man who wanted his children To be in a right relationship with god and that's why he did what he did there in verse five that he would offer burnt offerings and sacrifices just in case his children had sinned against god he loved his family and he was willing to do whatever it took for them to be in a right relationship with the lord dads are you willing to do the same Are you willing to do whatever it takes to see that your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are in a right relationship with God? And when your children look at you, regardless of their age, do they see you as a man of God? I'm sure Job's children did. Do they see you as a student of God's Word? Do they see you in the word? Do they see you obeying and following to the word? Do they know that you're a Christian? Are you praying for your family like Job did? Whatever it takes, dads. Do whatever it takes to make sure your children are in a right relationship with the Lord. Pray with them. Talk with them. Direct them in the ways of God, but whatever it takes. How about Joshua? You know the story in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. When Moses brought the children of Israel up to the land of Canaan, he sent 12 spies in, 10 were bad, 2 were good. They uh, brought all the people back a report reported the land because they'd spied out the land for 40 days. And the report of all 12 spies about the land was good. Even the 10 bad spies said, It's a great land. It's fertile. It's flown with milk and honey. It is a wonderful land. But 10 of them said, But let's turn around and go back because we can't take it. The cities are fortified, there are walls around them. The people are strong, they've got weapons. There are giants in the land of which we look like grasshoppers in their sight compared to them. There's no way we can take it. But two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, God said He would give us the land. Let's go get it. But the ten spies swayed the, swayed the multitude of the people, the children of Israel. They cried out in despair. Decided even to appoint a new leader that would take them back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb pled with the people, let's take the land, God will give it to us. But they picked up stones and were ready to stone them. And so since they spied out the land for 40 days, God sentenced them to one year in the wilderness. For each day they'd spied out the land, 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And every person the age of 20 and above would die in the wilderness until God brought back a new generation of people to take the land. All but Joshua and Caleb, they would get to go in because they had a courageous faith. And ultimately they come back, you can read in the book of Deuteronomy, they come back into the, to the land. Joshua this time has got the mantle of leadership passed on to him from Moses He only sends a couple spies in. Remember, they meet up with Rahab the harlot. But they get back and say they're melting in fear because of us, let's take the land, and they did. And how do you think Joshua's military advisors would have uh, accepted the first plan to defeat Jericho? We're gonna march around it, men, one time a day for six days, on the seventh day, we're gonna march around it seven times, the priests are going to blow the, blow the ram's horns. I'm going to give a command for the people to shout. The wall will fall down. We'll go in and take the city. Right. <laughs> a courageous faith because he believed in what God said and that God would do what he said. God did what he said. That's exactly how they took the city of Jericho. Joshua had a courageous faith, and I believe he passed it down to his children because near the end of In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, those famous words, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me... And my house, we will serve the Lord. Fathers, can you say that? That you and your house, your whole family, serve the Lord? I pray that you can say that. Joshua had a courageous faith. Last, Father, I want to look at this morning is Noah. Noah. Again, I think you know the story, the story of Noah and how he had to build an ark and so on. The Bible doesn't tell us at that point that it ever rained upon the earth. We do know that God would water the earth kind of with a mist, like a dew or whatever from the ground. That would give moisture. But as far as we know, Noah may have never seen it rain before. And certainly had never seen a flood, and especially a flood that's going to cover the entire earth. But things had gotten so bad. Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden, and sin began to multiply in the lives of people. Not long after that sin, and they have children, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and things just keep getting worse and worse. So that by the time you come to Genesis chapter 6, God is grieved. Literally, it means He's sick to His stomach, that He had even created man upon the earth. But He finds one man, one person, who walked with Him, that was righteous in His time, and His name was Noah. He tells Noah what He's going to do, and He tells Noah, here's what you need to do in order to survive Build an ark. Dave Green could stand here before you today and recite the words to Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I learned it from Tennessee, Ernie Ford myself, that the Lord looked down from his window in the sky, said, I created man, but I don't remember why. Nothing but fighting since creation days, so I'll send a little water and wash them all away. The Lord came down and looked around a spell and there was Mr. Noah behaving mighty well that is the reason that the scriptures record that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord said, Noah, there's going to be a flood. It's going to be some water, going to be some mud. So take off your hat, man. Take off your coat. Get him, Shem, and Japheth and build yourself a boat. Noah said, Lord, I don't believe I could. The Lord said, Noah, get some sturdy gopher wood. Never know what you can do till you try. Build it 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and he landed high and dry. Noah said, there she is, there she is, Lord. The Lord said, Noah, it's time to get aboard. Take of the creatures, a he and a she, and of course Mrs. Noah and the whole family. Noah said, Lord, it's getting mighty dark. The Lord said, Noah, get these creatures in the ark. Noah said, Lord, it's beginning to pour. The Lord said, Noah, hurry up, I'll shut the door. I said it right, Dave. (laughs) And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and he landed high and dry. So the ark rose up on the waters of the deep, and after 40 days, Mr. Noah took a peek. He said, we ain't moving, Lord. Where are we at? The Lord said, you're sitting right on Mount Ararat. The Lord said, Noah, uh, tell me, Dave, you're sitting right on Mount Ararat. Dry. The Lord said, Noah, see my rainbow in the sky. Take all these people and creatures to earth, and don't be more trouble than you're worth. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he landed high and dry. And you know the story. And we all, I think, we could tell that story to our children. But what I love most about it is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his family. Dads, have you prepared for the salvation of your family? Have you done whatever it takes for the salvation of your family? Not just physical, we're talking the spiritual salvation. Do all of your family have the promise of everlasting life because they've come to Christ? And are you willing to do whatever it takes to save them? You see, we have a Heavenly Father, as Larry shared with us this morning in that great call to worship. We have a Heavenly Father that has done whatever it takes to save us for eternity. And just as we see in the life of Abraham, when God provided a substitute The ram caught in the thicket that Abraham offered up, God has provided a substitute for us. Our loving Heavenly Father has provided His Son, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God has done everything necessary to save all mankind. The only thing God won't do is make the decision for you to accept Him and to accept the price that was paid, to accept the Christ. That choice is yours. Have you? Have you come to Christ? Have you accepted Him as Lord and Savior? Larry said this morning that before this service ends, that you can leave here today a part of not just a natural family but a part of the spiritual family of God. What do you need to do that? The same thing they did in the scriptures. They heard the word of God that God loved them so much he gave his son to die for them. They believed the message and were sorry for the sins they committed and repented of their sins, confessed their faith in Christ as the son of God. They were immersed in water wherein God forgives their sins, places within them the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then they live a life of faithfulness until God takes them to be in His presence. Have you done that? You can do it today. We have water in a baptistry right behind me. We have clothing you can wear. We've got towels you can dry off with. You can leave here today having obeyed the gospel and knowing the promise of everlasting life provided by the most loving Father that has ever existed. God is the greatest. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you need to come to Him today and accept the gift of Christ, then you come as we stand and sing.